and I said, my name is Kolya, and I was instructed by my husband to introduce him as well. So, <laughs> I am very surprised, and it truly is a blessing. And as I was sitting here, um, God just told me to share my testimony, and I cannot share my testimony before I first give him honor. He truly is a gift from God. But is my biggest cheerleader and the reason why I can stand here today. And for me, he's the best worship leader the world has. <laughs> Nobody thinks like that. And together we have the privilege of raising two incredible children. Again, they are the most beautiful, the cleverest, the best children in the world. And I get to say that because they are mine. I know yours are for you, but mine are for me. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I have the privilege of sharing an ending of our James series for you. And we're going to be in James 5. Now James 5, just like the rest of James, has so much to offer. I tried to put all of it in, guys. I cannot. Because we will be here until tomorrow, maybe the next day. So I really want to encourage you to go and read James 5 for yourself. There's so much truth in there that helps us in this life to live a life that honors God with everything that we that we are. But we are going to be in James 5, verse um, 7 to 11. But before we start, I just want to pray for us. Yes, Father, thank you for such a beautiful day. Thank you that this week has just reminded us of seasons changing, having so many seasons in, in one week. But Father, thank you that we get to come here today and praise the God of those seasons. Praise the God that brings the rain and the sunrise and the sunset. And Father, I pray that this moment would just be another moment where we get to worship you in the Word. Open our hearts right now, Father, that we can hear your voice. Yes. You speaking to us, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay, so if you want to read with me, James 5, verse 7. It starts there. Be patient. Be patient. Our sermon series is called Faith in Action. Be patient. I had to pause there and double check, am I in the right book? <laughs> because be patient is not faith in action for me. Be patient, I think, of being at the licensing department, which I had the honor of being at a couple of weeks ago with my sister, um, that brings so much frustration, so much anger, so much questions, so many, yeah, nothing good comes from waiting or being patient, I feel. But I think that James had an understanding here, and I've titled my sermon, Life's Waiting Room. James knew that this life is a life of waiting. And just like most of the statements that James makes in his book, an action, waiting is an action that we have to choose. We have to choose to be patient in this life. And this life is like the waiting room at home affairs or at the license department. But I think James had an understanding that in our waiting, I don't know if you can see my illustrations here, there's different ways that we can choose to wait. The one way 
is when you go to the licensing department, you start outside the building, sometimes in the sun, sometimes in the rain, you start standing and uncomfortable, and then you stand inside the building. <laughs> so that is here, before accepting Jesus into your life, you are waiting with no chair, with nothing, you are standing in this world. So if I want you, you can see, it's dead twigs lying on the floor, standing outside. <laughs> They're still waiting. They're still waiting for the same thing. They're just standing. But then you have a moment where you meet Jesus, and he gives you a chair, and he plants you in a pot. <coughs> and this is us living in the fullness of this moment. So there's three different ways of waiting. And as we unpack this, I hope you will also see these three different ways of waiting and how waiting fits into faith and <coughs> action. It is a choice, it is counterculturally that we choose in a world that's screaming at us, do not wait. Have that car that you cannot afford. Do the things that isn't good for you. Have sex without waiting for marriage because it makes me happy and it gives me satisfaction. That's the lie of the world that's keeping us there at the end. So as we unpack this, keep in mind, be patient is a doing. It's not passive. It's an active patience. Okay, so let's continue reading. Verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rain. <coughs> you also be patient. Establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door, and as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Let's go back to verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. The audience that James was writing here, writing to in James, was a Jewish audience. It was people who were familiar with the scriptures. They knew what the word said. Um, so when they heard the early and the late rains, they thought of scriptures like in Deuteronomy that says, and if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, he will give the rain for your land in its season, the early and the late rains, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. They thought of, of scriptures like Jeremiah that says, they did not say in their hearts, let us fear the Lord our God and give the rain, who gives the rain in season, the autumn rain and the spring rain, and keeps us, and keeps for us the weeks appointed for harvest. They think of Isaiah 6, 
that said, turn your heart towards God. Set your heart towards God. God wants to come and heal your heart. God is the God of your heart. Why the heart? Because the heart is everything that we are. Our heart is our essence. It's that part that longs for something bigger, for something greater. So when they heard, establish your heart, they knew that it meant with everything in me, like we read in Deuteronomy, to choose to obey the commands of the Lord, to love the Lord. In those times, the biggest persecutors of the church, the biggest persecutors of the gospel, was not lost people. It was religious people. God is not calling us to sit on this chair and take the book of James as a book of do's and don'ts because the book of James is based on the laws of the Old Testament. They were familiar with those laws. But James came to tell us that it's not about the law. Yes, let's live in that law because in our obedience, we grow. In our obedience to the one who created everything. In the obedience to the one who sent his son into this broken world. We can grow and we can thrive. And that's what happened to me. I was here. I was saved. I wasn't going to hell. I was going to heaven. But I was missing the fullness of what God has for us in this life. The fullness of a life, eternal life, that starts right now. In these scriptures it says, until the coming of the Lord, for the Lord's coming is at hand. It refers to the second coming of God. But James is speaking here as if it is happening right now. And he is building on the message of Jesus, who when the disciples asked him, when are you coming back? He said, nobody knows. But be ready, because it can come at any moment. Oh, is Jesus going to return and find us like this? This will break his heart. Because he didn't die for us to live here. He died for us to live here. And yes, that talks about the, the old or the, the second coming of God. But it also speaks about now. Think about the farmer. When the rain comes, he gets a harvest now. God is the provider now. God is a healer now. But there's certain aspects of this life that will only come to pass away when Jesus comes again. And God knew that. And James knew that. And when James read this, be patient. Be patient in the, the, the evilness of this world. Let's go back to, to home affairs or the licensing department. When you're sitting on that chair, I have no words. <laughs> I question whether I love Jesus because it is really frustrating to sit on that chair and wait and wait and lunchtime comes and they leave and you don't know are they coming back or they're not coming back. This life is frustrating, guys. This life is heavy and it's hard and it's not nice. If we set our eyes on the circumstances of this world. If we set our eyes on the things that surround us, on the heaviness that's around us, on the crises that's happening, on the choices our parents made, the choices our family made, if we set our minds and our 
apart from that, this is where we will be. Here. Saved by faith. So, like I said, when they heard this, they remembered the scriptures of the Old. And in the Old Testament, there's also scriptures that talk about how God will write the laws on our hearts. And Jesus said that he was the fulfillment of the law. He came to make our hearts new, to make us a new creation. And to write his love, his mercy, his grace on our hearts, so that when it comes to obedience, so that when it comes to hearing do's and don'ts, we realize that those do's and don'ts are not a religious set of rules. <coughs> they are a life-giving set of obediences that we freely get to choose. So, we are patiently rooted in the God who is sure. The God will send the rain in season and we choose to set our hearts, to turn our hearts completely to the gospel. That's where we accept Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior. It's here. Not here. It's here. It's not with our doing and our not doing. It's here. When I was here, I was going to church. I went, I did not miss, our church had two services, I went to both. I read my Bible, I prayed, but I was dead because there was no relationship. There was a religious duty that I was hoping would give me something that I was looking for and not allowing God to give me what I needed. If we continue reading in verse 10 and 11, um, James gives us two examples. The first one is, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast, who have heard of the, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purposes of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. James gives us two examples here about patience, but now he brings in, it seems, a new concept, which is suffering. <laughs> Sorry. Which is suffering. I didn't read about suffering in the previous verses. But in verse 7, they said, therefore, which makes us have to go back to the scriptures before. And in those scriptures, James was talking about injustice. He was talking about not getting paid for the work that you have done. He was talking about being condemned unjustly, and even about people dying unjustly. These prophets is an example of doing the will of God, but still suffering. The prophets spoke the word of God. They said what God was telling them. They were appointed by God to turn the hearts of the people back to God. Those people stoned them, those people starved them, threw them in jail. They, they suffered for the sake of the word of God. And not only that, they had to wait to see the word come to pass. They were standing there and they <coughs> preached and they warned them and they said, turn your hearts away from God or this will happen. It didn't happen immediately. 
and all people were teasing me. You said it was going to happen. Where is it? We don't see it. But yet, their patience in seeing the word come to pass was rooted in the sure God who brings the rain in season. And their hearts were set, turned to the gospel. And they were obedient, a lifestyle of obedience. Yes, maybe they didn't live on this side of the cross like we do. But they knew Jesus. They knew Jesus. They were predicting the moment when he would step into this world and bring us a solution to the pain. Not take it away, a solution. So they suffered, not because they deserved it, but because of the word of God. The next example there was Job. Job was a man who God himself said he was an upright man. He was a man who feared the Lord. He was living here. He was growing and thriving and worshiping. And then God was telling Satan about this man. <laughs> Job, and telling him, have you seen my servant? What a great man he is. How much he loves me. May God say that of us. I hope God is saying that of me in heaven. What did Satan do? He said, he only loves you because of the things that you have given him. In that moment, we also see one of the concerns of James in the whole book is, or not concerns, one of the things that he was trying to show is that in our life, we will have struggles. And there's two forces or beings that have different motives. There's God, who allowed Job to be tested. But his motive was, I know he's going to pass. I want him to succeed. I want him to have greater and better things. That was God's motive. What was Satan's motive? To break him down. To prove that he is worthless and unworthy and not able. And many say that Job cannot be an example of patience in suffering because Job grumbled. He did grumble. But who did he grumble to? He grumbled to God. He was never wavering in his faith. He never denied God. Ever. Never. He grumbled at the feet of Jesus. And he got up from his grumbling. His circumstances didn't change. They actually got worse and worse and worse. But he praised God. Job's patience in his suffering, his terrible suffering, was rooted in the God of the rain, who is sure. His heart was set towards the gospel and a lifestyle of obedience. Yes, again, he didn't live on this side of the cross that we have the privilege of living on. But he knew Jesus. He knew God. His, his eyes were so set on God that he wasn't bothered by his circumstances. That scripture ends by saying the purposes of God was his compassion and mercy. Who is God to you? How do you view God? If you see God as compassionate when you lose everything that you have, in your losing, your eyes are going to be set on that. 
Yes, you might grumble and you might moan, but you're going to moan to God because you know that as sure as the sun is going to rise tomorrow and it's going to set at the end of the day, my God is able. My God is good. My God is compassionate, merciful, gracious. What is your view of God? Now, I just want to go back to our illustration here. The gospel is this. That God became man in the man of Jesus Christ. He stepped into this broken world when we chose or haven't chosen to love him. We didn't turn our, our hearts to him. As a matter of fact, the whole world rejected him when he was here. He became man. God became man and stepped into our brokenness when we didn't love him. He lived the life that we should be living. And he died the death that we deserve for the things that we have done. But it didn't end there. Then we would just be sitting here. He rose again three days later, giving us a victorious life, a good life, a full life, eternal life, here, right now. And he gives us forgiveness of our sins. He gives us joy. He gives us peace. He gives us hope. A hope that is not based on what is surrounding us. I realize that this by your faces might be a very heavy message. But I hope that it stirs hope and joy in your hearts. That no matter what you're facing. Guys, I have scars on my wrist from the pain I inflicted upon myself to try and get out of here. But God is saying, come, my child, I have done it all. I have taken it all upon myself. Give me your burden and take mine, for it is easy. It is light. As a family, we've gone through tough times. We've gone through times when Ezra was a small baby, where we couldn't buy milk for him. We literally woke up in the morning and we did not know how we're going to give him milk. But in that moment, we chose to praise God. In that moment, we chose to go to church. We didn't feel like it. We didn't want to, but we went. Because we knew, even if nothing changes in our circumstances, God is still able. Amen. And in that moment, somebody came to Craig and gave him enough money to buy milk for Evie, to buy food for us, and to buy nappies for Ezra. I'm not saying that every time that is going to happen, because there's been countless times that our electricity was cut off because we didn't have money to pay. But we still praised God. We grumbled. But we praise God because we knew that if we allow him to care for us, he's going to come and cut those things off. Because in those moments where we had nothing, God came to teach us to be generous. He did something in us. Amen. He pruned us. He shaped us. He molded us. So may we have patience rooted in a God who is sure he is sure the rain will come in its season 
in His time. That scripture says, until the coming of the Lord, may we hold on to who God is until He chooses to step in. Not until we want. We wanted Him to step in before our electricity gets cut off. But He didn't. For a reason. Because He is compassionate and merciful. He doesn't do things with ulterior bad motives. His motives are good. So I want to just give you an opportunity and I want to take a moment. I want to ask you to close your eyes. And I want to ask you, where are you right now in the living room of life? Are you on the chair? Or firstly, maybe you haven't even accepted Jesus. Maybe you're still standing outside in the rain and in the sun. And today, you have a moment, a choice to choose God, to choose Jesus, to accept the gift that keeps on giving. Or maybe you're on the chair, you are saved, you have accepted Jesus, but you feel dead inside. You've lost hope. Your eyes are so fixed on your circumstances that that's all you see. But right now, God is giving you an opportunity to turn your eyes back on Him. never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to ask you to be bold enough to stand up right now. Jesus is knocking at your door and he's saying, please let me in. Next, I want to ask if there's some of you that are feeling dead inside, like you have no hope and there's no reason to keep on living. I want to ask that you be bold enough to stand up, that we can pray for you so that your eyes will be set on the God who brings the rain.